KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Something big has arrived. Get ready for the official guide to the King of the Monsters. Welcome back to listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Accomando. One of my favorite things in the world is Godzilla. So I'm thrilled to be speaking with author Graham Skipper about his gorgeous new coffee table book, Godzilla, the official guide to the King of the Monsters. And what makes it doubly fun is that Graham is also the actor who brought Herbert West to life in Reanimator the Musical, another one of my favorite things. So get ready to geek out with me about my beloved Kaiju Godzilla and to uncover some fascinating facts about Toho's iconic monster. Okay, slight detour before we start talking about Godzilla. I just want to give a little love to Reanimator the Musical, Stuart Gordon's stage adaptation of his 1985 horror gem, Reanimator. I miss that show and the people who made it such a devilish delight. Here's just a taste of Graham Skipper, who brought the mad med student Herbert West to life. Here he sings about the famously undead cat. I give life, I give the gift of reanimation. I give life, I give it freely, this is my calling. I'm the modern heir to Prometheus, bringing fire to man. I give life saying I'm God. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I give life, life with no purpose, life for its own sake. That show was just brilliant. I wish there was some way I could bring Gordon and the show back to life as well. But now, on to Godzilla. It's Godzilla! Godzilla is headed for Tokai on the east coast of Ibaraki. The government is holding an emergency cabinet meeting, and they're sending the army to the presumed landing spot. Godzilla needs to be studied. He's a gold mine of knowledge. Well, you couldn't care less. You just want to kill him before we fully analyze him. And in the meantime, he just levels Tokyo. think you can kill Godzilla? And where is Godzilla? That is the question. I've never seen Godzilla this close before. Why does he keep protecting us? Maybe because Godzilla is inside each one of us. We're all gonna die, and I'm part of the reason. Godzilla! Godzilla! 
we discuss the new book, Godzilla, The Ultimate Guide to the King of the Monsters, I wanted Graham to tell us how he got introduced to Godzilla and if it was love at first sight. So when I was a kid, my grandparents lived out in the country and they had one of those gigantic satellite dishes in the backyard. Back in the day, we had these, occasionally people would have these huge, like industrial sized satellite dishes in their backyard that would pick up sort of everything. Uh, and you would get, you know, HBO for free. You would get like weird Japanese channels for free. And my grandparents had one of these. And so they got HBO. So whenever I would go out and visit them, you know, I was definitely an indoor kid. I loved movies, loved TV. So I would sit in their bedroom where they had their TV and I would turn on HBO and watch movies all day. And I remember very specifically, I, I can't remember how old I was, eight or nine probably. And they were showing some movie on HBO, but the ad for the upcoming movie was King Kong versus Godzilla. King Kong versus Godzilla, heading for their colossal collision, shattering every obstacle that stands between them in the most fantastic rampage of annihilation ever recorded on film. See King Kong stamp Tokyo into the ground, holding a beautiful girl in his grasp. Godzilla destroy an entire army. See King Kong trapped by the blazing barrier of a billion volts. But nothing, nobody can stop the great showdown when King Kong and Godzilla meet to fight for survival of the fittest. I had seen neither movie, but I knew, of course, who King Kong was. I knew who Godzilla was. I was definitely a monster kid. I was into monsters. And I thought, well, obviously I'm going to like this movie. So I stayed. I watched King Kong vs. Godzilla. Totally fell in love. But pretty much every time I would go there, I mean, HBO was showing Godzilla movies all the time back then. And so I would watch all of them, and I totally fell in love. But yeah, King Kong vs. Godzilla, it was my gateway. Uh, still one of my favorites. I mean objectively maybe not one of the best of the movies but it holds a very special place in my heart and what do you think it was about godzilla that appealed to you so monsters are are an interesting thing for a child right because like a, a monster is inherently scary it's supposed to be a horrific thing you know these are part of horror movies but they're also really alluring they're really fun as a kid you know i don't know as, as a kid being me i liked gross stuff i liked weird stuff but the thing about Godzilla is that Godzilla is is both a scary monster and a good guy, at, at least for, for a lot of the films. I, I guess it appealed to me in the same way as like Frankenstein appealed to me. You know, Frankenstein's a scary monster, but Frankenstein's also sympathetic. Uh, you like Frankenstein. And same with Godzilla. You know, Godzilla is scary. Godzilla destroys buildings. Godzilla's huge and frightening. But Godzilla is also defending humanity. <laughs> I don't know, it's heartwarming. Godzilla's sort of like the proto-Captain Planet, in a way. Well, I think for me, the thing that always appealed to me was Godzilla is a man in a suit. And there was something about that that made him feel different from a lot of other big monsters. Not human-looking monsters, but the big, giant, scary monsters. And there was something about him that seemed so 
human and personal in the way he was played. 100%. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's definitely a different, it's even a different sort of feeling than when you watch other men in suit monsters, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, right? That's that's a different feeling than you get with something like Godzilla, where you're also suspending your disbelief that that you know these are miniatures, and you know this is just a regular guy in a suit crushing these miniatures, uh, but still, it's there's fun in your brain uh, expanding that, and 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 there's there's the the fun idea of like it's almost like when you're a kid and you love splashing through puddles, and you love like sort of building your blocks in your room and like smashing those down. You're kind of reliving that through Godzilla in a way. And just to remind people about the origins of Godzilla, the first film was in 1954, Gojira, and this was really a horror film, and it dealt with kind of the aftermath of the atomic bomb, and it looked to the horrors of that for the Japanese people, and Godzilla was kind of this manifestation of all that fear and anxiety. But then it was imported to the United States a couple years later as Godzilla, King of the Monsters, with Raymond Burr inserted in. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible titan of terror. Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet flames cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrills, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief, the mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But what do you think it is about Godzilla that allowed him to be this Japanese monster that became this American, you know, popular American monster and globally uh, incredibly popular. Yeah, you know, I think I think that speaks to the talents not only of of the original team that made the original Gojira, but also the team that made Godzilla King of the Monsters. I, I think that it's sort of fashionable nowadays, now that we have the original Gojira so readily available in the States. I mean, that wasn't available till I think it was 2004. You know, it was it was a very long time before we actually got the original version here in the States that was kind of readily available for people. Godzilla King of the Monsters is really, really interesting. And and I don't want to, I, I don't want to disparage that movie because I think that it does a lot of things that are really that are really good and and I think that spoke to an American audience in a way that appealed to distributors and appealed to kind of the general American sensibility of like the military is the best and we're gonna kill the thing while at the same time retaining that essential soul that the original Gojira has and and having us feel sympathy for the monster you know in the original film it's very bleak it's pretty nihilistic. It's a very sad film, you know, from start to finish. King of the Monsters is a lot more upbeat. And for those who don't know, like, basically, the American distributors went through and shot a whole bunch of new stuff uh, involving the actor Raymond Burr, uh, essentially as an American reporter who's kind of explaining things to us as they're happening. A prehistoric monster the Japanese call Godzilla has just walked out of Tokyo Bay. He's as tall as a 30-story building. Now he's making his way toward the city's main line of defense. 300,000 volts of electricity strung around the city as a barrier. 
a barrier against Godzilla. But they do it in a really clever way where they, they're sort of inserting him into scenes from the original film. Uh, pretty seamlessly, I might add. Like, the, the film craft there is actually pretty good. I can hardly believe what has just happened. Now it seems Tokyo has no defense. But the whole thing is kind of uh, emphasizing a, it, this is a very broad overview of it, but the whole thing is sort of emphasizing the idea of like how great the military is and we're going to fight the monster and while at the same time just sort of explaining to people like what's happening with this like nuclear age monster that's a danger. The original film is a lot more, I don't know, I look at it as a, a little bit like, well, this is the inevitable outcome of what we've done and we're going to take it and suffer and how sad for humanity and we're going to try to stop this thing, but it's an unstoppable force. The only way that we can stop it is through another atrocious act. The, the cycle of destruction sort of continues. I find it really interesting that King of the Monsters frames it in that kind of more weirdly optimistic way, while at the same time ending it in kind of a King Kong way of, of saying, like, you know, it's not beauty killed the beast, but well, you know, humanity killed the beast, that's very sad, but we killed the beast. The menace was gone, so was a great man. But the whole world could wake up and live again. And I think that the, the they were very clever to, to end it that way because I think it allowed Americans and kind of this Western ideal to really latch on to it, particularly kids. Kids don't like the first Godzilla, like the original Japanese Godzilla that much. Kids find it kind of boring and kind of sad and kind of dreary. Um, I think that the greatest thing that King of the Monsters did was it introduced kids to this, where it gave them this serious subject matter, but it made them excited about it. And I think that speaks a lot to the longevity, at least over here in the States, of why it kicked in and then why it evolved into the Saturday morning cartoon situation that it did, which obviously added to the longevity. Up from the depths, 30 stories high, That's my very long-winded answer uh, to your to your question. I, I really I really do love King of the Monsters a lot, and I, I recommend to people when they're saying what should I watch, I say, well, watch the original Gojira. I think that's the better film. I think it's one of the best films ever made. But then watch King of the Monsters because it's a really fascinating look at one how editing can totally change a movie, and two just uh, this sort of cultural different viewpoint that I think is pretty profound. Well, and I think it's interesting too that you can take that film and sort of remove Godzilla's teeth in a sort of way in terms of taking out how the atomic bomb impacted Japan. And yet the film still plays and Godzilla is still this amazing, iconic character, even in that revamped version. Yeah, it just kind of removes the cultural undertone that, that the original is trying to do. I don't know, it removes his teeth in one way, but kind of adds his teeth in another. It just makes him like this kind of unexplainable, like horrible monster, which is also fun. So tell me how the book came about and how you came to write all about Godzilla. Yeah, through pure luck, essentially. So I have been friends with Chris Mowry at Toho, North America, for quite a long time. And a few years ago, actually right before the pandemic, he reached out to me because Toho was going to be doing a series of comedic 
shorts that were going to be sort of remixed edits of old Godzilla films that were going to be funny. And he contacted me to help produce and write some of these. And so I was working on that. And, and as part of that process, you know, I had to watch all the films again, which I mean, I, I have always been a fan, but I hadn't watched a lot of them in a very long time. And, you know, I think just through that process, he saw my love for the franchise and, and all of that. And so when it came time to write the book, he reached out to me and he said, Hey, look, we need somebody to write this book. I know that you're a fan of the franchise. I'd, I'd written some short stories and some other compilations. You know, I've done some, some narrative writing work. I've written some screenplays and yeah, so he, he just reached out and asked me if I would be interested. And I said, absolutely. This is a franchise that I'm always really interested in franchises like movie franchises that last a really long time because it just makes you wonder like what is it about this franchise that for whatever reason keeps people coming back you know and I mean examples of this that I'm always sort of fascinated by of course is like Doctor Who you know been running since the 60s you've got the Friday the 13th franchise which I'm a huge fan of I think like the Hellraiser franchise which I find just to be like the most ridiculous franchise in history but I love it very much and you know Godzilla I mean it's the longest running film franchise in history this franchise has been going since since 1950 and there's something to be said for what is it about this monster and about this world that keeps people coming back. And so I was just really excited to dive into really exploring the history of that and really trying to pull apart, you know, some of these elements of, of why Godzilla has remained so important to humanity uh, for so long. And in taking that deep dive, what did you find is part of his appeal or what has contributed to his longevity? I mean, I think that a part of it is kind of what we've already talked about. You know, he, he appeals both to to the adults that like the scary monster stuff and the, and the cultural criticism, uh, as well as to the kids that like seeing buildings smashed and monsters fighting and to the the general mayhem uh, that a lot of these movies offer. I think that, you know, one thing about Godzilla is that as, as much as Godzilla evolves throughout the different eras and throughout the different years, Godzilla still stays, and this is a testament to Toho, still stays a force of nature. Godzilla, how do I put this? Godzilla is never too much of, of, a, of a character in the sense that like, oh, this is the, I don't know, this is the mean Godzilla. This is the funny Godzilla. Yes, those movies are funny, those movies are mean, those movies are scary, those movies are different movies, but Godzilla as a character, even in the goofiest of all these entries, is still, he's a force of nature. He's like a hurricane. I, I keep saying he, it's really they. You know, Godzilla is genderless. Godzilla is immortal. Godzilla is all of these things and sort of indescribable. And, and I think it's that consistency. We're not seeing the Michael Keaton Batman versus the Val Kilmer Batman. It's always Godzilla. And I think there's something comforting to that. I think that there's something about, you know, when you turn on the TV and a Godzilla movie is playing on a Sunday afternoon, no matter what the film is, and the films may differ greatly, it's still going to be Godzilla. And and I think that that becomes something that we, I don't know, for for me at least, it becomes a comfort blanket. And I think for a lot of people, that's the same way. And, and you can either choose to just pick out of it the fun silliness of what you're seeing and kind of relax and watch it, or you can find some really deep, interesting cultural commentary and criticism that's also very valid and important and very smart. And what can people expect from this book? 
so you know when I was growing up I the thing that got me into monsters in general was my parents had bought me a picture book that had all the different monsters in it all the movie monsters so it had all the universal monsters had Jason Freddy Leatherface Pinhead all those what it did was it basically went through and it told like a brief history of every character and then had a bunch of really beautiful pictures of them. And so when offered the opportunity to write this book, I said, I want to write the Godzilla book for that kid. I want to write a Godzilla book where a kid who's eight, nine, ten gets this book and opens it up and this whole world is just presented before them. And that maybe they're not old enough to see some of these movies yet. Maybe they haven't seen the movies. Maybe they haven't even heard of them. But here's something where they can read about them. They can look at the pictures. They can get excited about it. You know, when they're done watching the movies, they can go back. They can read the book. They can learn more about how the movie was made. And that, that to me, I just found so inspiring personally as a kid growing up with a book like that, that the thought of having a book like that for others uh, was really exciting. And And of course, it's not just for kids. I mean, this is something that there's a lot of interesting information that I found through my research. It's all out there, but this is uh, the first time that everything has really been contained into one single really beautiful sort of collectible edition. Whether you're a fan of Godzilla, whether you uh, just think that monsters are cool and want to have something fun on your coffee table, or whether you're a kid that, like me, was into monsters and had heard of Godzilla but didn't really know a lot about them, this is why you why I wrote this book. And I've already gotten some incredible feedback from people who have like shots of their kids, you know, sitting in their bunk bed, like reading the book, you know, totally engrossed. And that just fills me with so much joy because Godzilla, I think, brings joy to the world. And I know Godzilla has brought joy to me through my life. And so if this book can bring a similar kind of joy to to people, especially to kids, as they're as they're just beginning to form their their cinematic love, then I I couldn't be happier. Um, I'm really really happy. Welbeck Publishing did an incredible job with the book. I think it's beautiful. I, I, I hope that's what sticks with folks is is that it's just a it's sort of a, a joyful celebration and deep dive into into a thing that that uh, we all into a thing that we all love. Well, as a longtime fan of Godzilla and someone who's collected far too much stuff. I just loved the book and the photos are so amazing. And you pulled out some stuff that I've never seen before. So what was it like going through the Toho archives and trying to select what you wanted to put in the book? I mean, it was incredible. You know, so Toho offered us the the rare opportunity to just have total free access to their photo archives. So this included, uh, you know, behind the scenes stills. It included, you know, stills from the films that were really high quality, really beautiful. It included publicity stuff, some really cool, some of my favorite stuff are some of the lobby cards that are in there that are uh, these sort of amalgams of like different shots from the films in sort of an artistic way. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically like I would just go through and my day was I would get up, I would watch a movie and then I would write a draft of a chapter about it while doing like research and, and all of that. And then I would go through that film's folder in the photo archive and I would just pick out, you know, the shots that spoke to me. And at a certain point, I mean, I had way too many pictures picked, you know, and I'm sending it to the publisher and they're like, we don't have this many pages, you know, <laughs> we can't include all of these. So it was a matter of trying to go, okay, well, what have I not seen before? What are some of the most iconic shots? Again, keeping that kid in me in mind, like, what's the picture that's going to really send me 
through the roof here. You know, what's that shot of King Ghidorah that I'm going to be super stoked about? And just trying to pick those out, I mean, it was almost impossible. There was a ton more in there that, you know, we just couldn't include due to space. Um, but I think that we picked some really cool stuff. And I mean, I especially love, you know, even just the poster images. So at the beginning of every chapter, we have the Japanese poster for for the film. And and I even just those, I, I love. You know, they're so expressive and dynamic, very different from what American posters are. And so I'm really glad that we got to include all those. Uh, yeah, the, the pictures are just astonishing and it's and they're so high quality. I mean, you know, you've seen in the book, I mean, some of these are, are huge, two full page, you know, spreads and the, the quality is just pristine. So so we were really, really lucky to have that opportunity to, to, to go through those archives and, and just sort of take whatever we wanted. Were you like a kid in a candy shop? Oh, yeah. And I may or may not have downloaded some of those pictures. How could you not? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just it was amazing. I mean, every every folder, you know, you know, some of them would have thousands of, of pictures in them. And I'm just sitting there clicking through and just going through them and just like at a certain point, even remembering, I, oh, I've got to pick some of these for a book. I'm not just looking at pictures. It was amazing. One of the things that I really liked is there are these illustrations. I don't know if they were uh, storyboards or what, but there's uh, these like hand-drawn images that are just great. Yeah, a lot of those, you know, <laughs> it's funny because the the there wasn't a lot of explanation to a lot of the pictures, you know, they're, they're just sort of like a file name and then you see what it is. So some of those we had to kind of dig apart. Yeah. I mean, there's some concept art uh, in there. That's really, really cool. There was some art that I think they had done for like promotional purposes for, for different, you know, re-releases of the films or whatever it was. And, and it was all in there. Um, there's some really beautiful sort of Japanese style. I, I don't know what you call it, you know, full color uh, sort of, I don't know, I would say almost animation style art that we use for the for the chapter breaks. And uh, I really loved those. I thought those were very cool. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff is just stuff that they had. And uh, they just said, have at it. It was, it was incredible. And as you know, Hedera is my favorite Godzilla opponent. And you dug up a really bizarre piece of trivia about that film involving suit actor... Ken Pachiro Satsuma. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So when they were filming, so the the hetero suit is, uh, I believe, at the time was the heaviest suit that they'd constructed. It was it was this monster. I mean, no pun intended. This monstrous contraption that it took them like two hours to get into and two hours to get out of. It was this huge thing. And uh, while they were filming, while he was in the hetero suit, his appendix burst, and they had to call a doctor to the set. They did not have time to get him out of the suit. So while he was in the hetero suit, the doctor had to cut into it and perform without anesthesia an appendectomy while he was in the suit. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, just incredible stuff, right? Like incredible. It's, it's, and you always hear about how brutal the shooting conditions were for these actors that played these monsters. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, Haruo Nakajima, you know, was, we gave countless interviews about how, like, it's just horrendous it was, especially on the original Gojira, you know, in this in this huge suit. But, I mean, when you think of something like that, it, it's it just, you know, these guys were, they were quite literally pushing their bodies to the bursting point. That must have been such a surreal moment to witness as uh, a medic is, like, sitting there cutting into Hedera, you know, who I'm sure is screaming and biting down on leather or something. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I loved that story. I think that was probably my favorite bit of info that I that I came across while I was working on the book. Were there any other stories you want to share that you found? Oh, wow. I mean, I'm trying to think... Um, 
Of anything else, I mean, you know, there are lots of stories of Nakajima, like, nearly drowning when he's doing a lot of these, um, you know, underwater scenes. I mean, because that suit would just fill with water. So all of a sudden, you know, you're already wearing, like, a 200-pound suit. But then you get in water, and it just fills with water and soaks everything up. And suddenly you're in the 400-pound suit. I mean, you are a weight at the bottom of this gigantic indoor pool. I, I think there was one story about where he did have to be, like, saved by people. I can't remember. It might have been uh, during... Ibira, Horror of the Deep. I, I might be wrong about that. But yeah, I mean, there's lots of stories like that of just how brutal some of these conditions were when people were filming, especially back in the Showa era, uh, of, of just how... I mean, because people forget, like, these movies were not made with a lot of money. And these were effectively... I mean, yes, it was a studio backing them, and it was a major studio, but essentially they would just kind of say, all right, you kids go do your thing. You know, here's a paltry amount of money. Do what you can. You know, and then they would have, like, three months to make a movie. And, and so these were effectively kind of like indie films in a way. I mean, they were essentially left alone. You know, it was evidenced by Godzilla versus Hedera. I mean, like, Toho was not happy with the finished product there. But I think it speaks to the fact that that product got made, you know, and got released. You know, and Toho's like, all right, well, we're going to change course now. But at least they weren't, like, sitting there fiddling with them as they were making it. I mean, they left them alone. And do you have a personal favorite Godzilla film? I know that's like choosing which of your children do you like. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so hard. I mean, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to separate the original Gojira aside because I, I, it's kind of like, I don't know. It, 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 you, you, you have to, you have to put that aside because that's definitely objectively by far the best of them. And, and I, one of the best movies ever made. I have a deep affection for Godzilla versus Destroya. I have a deep affection for Godzilla versus Biollante. <laughs> which is a, a weird little outlier that is criminally underseen. It's very good. And Godzilla vs. Destroya is just a very emotional film for me. I know it is for you, too. I have to say that I really love Son of Godzilla. The mightiest monster the world has ever known. The mightiest egg the world has ever known. Introducing the Son of Godzilla. Son of Godzilla. A rollicking monster spectacular. See how a baby monster becomes a monstrous monster. Just the other night, uh, I was talking to somebody about about Godzilla. They were asking about the book, and, and this guy said, Oh, I love all of them except Son of Godzilla. That's just so ridiculous. And you know, I think it's sweet. And I mean, yes, the, the Manila outfit is like pretty awful. And it's, you know, it, it's just, a, it's such a silly little fun movie. But man, I just, I, there's something about it that just fills me with joy whenever I watch it. I love the scene where he's teaching him how to, how to blow the atomic breath. You know, and little Manila's like breath is just a little circle. It's, I just think it's adorable. Um, I will say the one I, I would want to champion the most is All Monsters Attack. Hi. All Monsters Attack is is often derided as as maybe the worst of this franchise, um, which <laughs> might be partly why I'm why I'm uh, drawn to it. It was one of Ishiro Honda's favorites. It was one of the ones where he was given essentially no time to make the movie and essentially no money, and so he he made 
this very personal little film about a little boy who's bullied uh, relentlessly, and this boy has a, a an imaginary land that he goes to, which is Monster Island, where he hangs out with Manila. Computer, computer. And that's kind of how, where he goes, uh, not just to escape, but also to kind of learn, you know, things about himself and how he can stand up for himself more and how he can, you know, how do you, how do you fight bad guys? How do you get brave enough to fight them? And Manila teaches him these lessons. And eventually he gets caught up in this like sort of weird bank heist. That's, that's fun, you know, in and of itself. And by the end, he uses all the things that he's learned from Manila to to fight the, the bad guys and to fight the bullies, and he gains respect from everybody. A, a lot of the movie is, especially the monster stuff, is all clips from old movies. I think it's like 95% like clips from old movies, which is why people knock it down. But I know Honda considered it one of his favorites. I think that despite the fact that they're reusing old footage, that movie really speaks to me just from a from a character standpoint, I, I think it's maybe the most character centric uh, of all the movies, and and it's the one that I don't know. Whenever whenever I watch it, it just brings me it brings me a lot of joy, and I love how much it focuses on the human element. So I would recommend you know people when it's kind of like you know you would when I walked into my my local video store when I was a kid and I said I want to learn about the Halloween franchise, and he said, well you can skip Halloween three, nobody likes that. Let me be the video store guy that tells you when you're watching the Godzilla franchise, other people will tell you don't watch All Monsters Attack. I am telling you, watch All Monsters Attack. It is Ishiro Honda approved and Graham Skipper approved. So there you go. I don't know. How can anybody hate one of the films where you get all the monsters in and it's like a WWE wrestling match? I mean, it's great. It's beautiful. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a really special little movie and... And, you know, and again, you know, I mean, I, I have to say, like, in my chapter on it in this book, I speak very highly of it. And you can certainly tell kind of which of the ones maybe are my personal favorites, although I give I give love to every one of them. I mean, even the Roland Emmerich film, I give love to. There's stuff to love about all of them. But uh, yeah, yeah, All Monsters Attack. It's a it's a special little special little film. And the book does go all the way up into the present day. So you include the most recent films as well. Yeah, yeah, we do everything. I mean, we do all the American films. We do all the most recent Reiwa era films, Shin Godzilla, the, the three Netflix films. Uh, we also talk about Godzilla Singular Point, which is the most recent Netflix animated TV project that they did. I'm, I'm sad that, well, I don't know, maybe we'll have to do a special edition that includes the new Godzilla film that was announced for next year, uh, which I'm very excited to see, as well as like the Kurt Russell Godzilla, you know, TV show and stuff. I just love that, you know, at a certain point, I mean, I remember, I, you know, in 1998, I was in high school, and they were announcing the Roland Emmerich Godzilla, and I remember as a, as a kid thinking oh, how great, like Godzilla, this is like a dead franchise and, and they're bringing something back. And then even in 2014, you know, like, oh, okay, that's cool. I'm glad that Godzilla's coming back. Like, that's nice. And right now it just seems like we're getting Godzilla from every corner. And and I, I love that so much. I, I love seeing how popular it is again. Um, I think Shin Godzilla has a lot to do with that. Shin Godzilla is one of the best Godzilla films of, of, of the entire franchise, in my opinion. But I think that that really kind of kind of reestablished for the world like hey the american films are cool which they are i love the american films godzilla versus kong i think is great king of the monsters wonderful but when shin godzilla came out it was like okay but toho toho really knows what they're doing 
から東京湾へ移動中。And so I'm excited to see what they do next, and I'm excited to see what the future of the franchise holds. On a certain level, Shin Godzilla was kind of like Casino Royale was for Bond. It was going back after you kind of think, like, ah, they've gone through everything. There's so many tropes. How can they revitalize it and refresh it? And then they come with that that just was like, wow. That's right. It's a DOE's code name Godzilla. 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 Yeah, and it does everything that the, it, it does everything that the original did. In such a clever way, you know, it, it again recontextualizes this on its surface, you know, just a big monster movie, but through the lens of, of current events and what's happening and like how to process stuff about the world. It just did it so beautifully and it's funny. It's it's not like a big, I, I, I don't know, the, the one criticism that people have of, of like the 2014 Godzilla is sort of how dour it is. You know, it's, it, takes it, it takes itself very seriously, which I don't think is a bad thing, but Shin Godzilla has this. Snarky black comedyness to it that, without ever sacrificing the depth of what it's of what it's saying, it's a really remarkable movie. I mean, again, man, if you haven't watched Shin Godzilla, what are you doing? On a certain level, it's a political satire, and one of my favorite things about it is how they turn the bureaucracy of the government officials into these like crazy funny. Action sequences where moving Xerox machines get the like military music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the score is like, they're just like moving a box from one room to the other. It's so silly. Yeah, it's, it's really, I keep saying silly. It's not silly. It's, it's just, it's fun. It's fun and it's acknowledging the fact that we're talking about very serious things through the lens of a monster movie. You know, but then they come at you with stuff like, you know, that, that sequence towards the end where they're trying to freeze him and they've got all the tubes going in his mouth, you know, and it looks like he's getting like a dental procedure. And it's just so sad, you know, it's so sad. Yet again, you know, Godzilla is a sympathetic creature. I mean, he's destroying stuff. And I mean, Lord knows how many millions of people he's killed over the years. But, but Godzilla's sympathetic. Godzilla's just being Godzilla. You know, we're the ones that are screwing everything up. And the other thing about Shin Godzilla, which I think explains partially why I also love films like Hedera and Biollante, is you get Godzilla in this evolution of what he looks like. So he starts, you know, instead of getting him as this fully formed creature, we get to see how he progresses. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, uh, yeah, when you talk about Hedera, especially, you know, that's, I, I think Hedera was the first of the of the monsters that we really saw evolve in that way. And yeah, I, I liked that too. You know, when I first saw Shin Godzilla, I, I didn't even recognize that Godzilla was Godzilla with that first monster that came out of the, you know, the, 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 the sort of like amphibious fish creature that just sort of flopped out into the city. It never occurred to me that that was going to evolve into Godzilla. So I really liked that. It was really unique and, and, uh, and really fun. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for not just talking about the book, but talking about the King of the Monsters. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I always love talking about Godzilla with you. And again, I'm just honored that I got to be a part of Godzilla's 
legacy in some small way and uh you know to be able to to have written this book and and to you know have it in people's hands that are seemingly enjoying it so far it's just such an incredible honor and and one of the uh really one of the the highlights of of my career thus far so i'm I'm thankful to toho for entrusting me thankful to chris mowry for putting my name in the hat and uh and and I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just thankful to everybody that's bought the book and has been so kind about it online. Um, and I hope that this Christmas season, a lot of people get a Godzilla book for Christmas. That would be really fun. It's a perfect stocking stuffer, although it's way too big for a stocking. I think. Well, unless unless it's Godzilla <laughs> stocking, I mean, then you yes. could definitely fit it in there. That was author Graham Skipper talking about Godzilla, the ultimate guide to the king of the monsters. You still have time to order it for a last-minute gift. If you want to hear Graham and I discuss Godzilla even more, then check out the podcast he invited me on, a Godzilla mini-mega screen drafts with Drew and Tashi McQueenie and co-hosts Clay Keller and Ryan Marker. We engage in a lively discussion to pick the 13 best Godzilla movies. That wraps up not just another edition of Cinema Junkie, but another year. If you enjoy the podcast, then please share it with a friend because your recommendation is the best way to build an addicted audience. You can also help by leaving a review. Till next year and our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.